0: Father, what a good thing it is to reach for our Bibles now and open them and to hear a word from you. Father, we would affirm the words of our lips, that the intentions of our hearts and the behavior of our lives would indeed follow our words, and that we would long for a relationship with Christ that is indeed more meaningful and precious than even gold. And Father, we know that we grow in our understanding of who you are and who Jesus is and what he's done for us through the study of the word. And so as your Holy Spirit does, take your word and use it in us well. Open our eyes, clear our minds, calm our hearts. And may we go from here, Lord, with a renewed energy and a renewed vigor to live for Jesus. We commit this time to you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I'll bet there's some earthquake stories out there, huh? It was an interesting week, wasn't it? Two big stories in the news. The earthquake, I was on I-95, had just come up out of the Baltimore Tunnel, Harbor Tunnel, Heading north, and um, you can see the water there. And I was waiting to pay toll, and the whole toll booth just started to rock back and forth. Signs swinging and chains clanking. And then, if you turn your t- television on, wasn't it a big week of news about good old Mumar Marmar Gaddafi? Mumar Gaddafi. And uh, a world leader in big trouble. People comment to me regularly, Pastor Van, do you think that these are signs of the times? And the answer is, I think yes. I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 13 as we begin to study our Bibles again after a couple weeks off. Um, For those of you who have not been with us, you need to know that we have been doing a a relatively uh, topical study about The last day's events. That is, the things that the Bible prophesies will take place at the time of the end of the world. And the Bible tells us that there's a day when Jesus is coming back, and that before that happens, there are some incredible events that will unfold. There are some some very interesting characters that are identified in Scripture, and this morning we want to. Talk about two key characters. One is a world leader. Speaking of world leaders, we know of him in our Bibles as the Antichrist. And when people see stories about Muammar Gaddafi and others, and you hear the talk of what they call the Arab Spring. That is the realignment of Arab nations. There is the, the, the taking down of some leaders. There is the rising up of others. There seems to be a unifying of, of the Arab nations. One thing that is constant is their animosity with the nation of Israel. And when you read your Bible and you, you begin to see glimpses and snippets and start to put the pieces of the puzzle together, one of the things you have to say is that when, what I'm observing in the world around me only reinforces what I understand God's Word to teach. It's not difficult to believe some of these things that when we study in the book of Revelation seem really far-fetched. Earthquakes. We studied earlier this summer about how in Matthew 24, in the Olivet Discourse, our Lord Jesus talked about the beginnings of birth pangs. And earthquakes have gone on, and they are a, a, a geologic reality but doesn't it seem like the earth is just more cataclysmic events than ever and, and when the time that we identify in our Bibles as, and I don't have my props up here today because of the quiz table, we have some symbols that we've been putting up, the 70th week of Daniel or a 7 year period that you may have heard of as the tribulation period, and that is broken down in two halves, and the last half of which is three and a half years, that the book of Revelation talks about the seals being broken and these judgments coming forth, and angels with blowing trumpets, and, and God pouring out of these bowls His wrath upon the earth. And Jesus said that when this week begins, this week of years, seven years, when it begins... It's the birth pangs, and at halfway through, it's really going to take off. And the Bible seems to make very clear that there's just going to be some incredible events taking place. During that time, the world is going to be largely governed by what I understand to be one world leader. Let's read our text. We're actually jumping into the middle of a message that we didn't finish three weeks ago, and then we've had two weeks off with with, uh, Matt White and... um, the drama last week. I hope you enjoyed the story of the prodigal son last week. And uh, so we're in Revelation 13 as we open our Bible and let's read our text and we'll catch up rapidly. And the first part of our message today, we're going to see um, some details, some facts about the Antichrist, seven facts about the Antichrist, five of which we've already heard three weeks ago. We're going to finish that part, and then you're going to see that the Antichrist has a sidekick. He has a partner in crime, and we call him the false prophet. You'll see Revelation 13 is kind of the key passage describing these world leaders during this time of tribulation and great tribulation. Let's turn to our Bibles, and right away we see verse 1 of chapter 13. We're introduced to the dragon. We don't have time to go research it, but very quickly we will learn, even in chapter 12, that the dragon is a name for Satan. You can believe that, can't you? And many Bible students believe that verse 1 of 13 is really wrapping up the last section of chapter 12, but verse 1 in our Bibles of Revelation 13 says, "...and the dragon stood on the shore of the sea." We don't know what that C is. The Bible doesn't define it. And so one of the things when we do our prophetic Bible study, we have to be careful and let the Bible define itself. We have to try to figure it out based on the Bible interpreting itself. But it doesn't say exactly what that sea is. Some people think it's the sea of humanity. And out of this sea that the dragon, Satan, appears, he says, John, the writer of this vision, he has a vision. John writes down and he says, I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. Well, we don't want to re-preach the message from a few weeks ago, but what a grotesque-looking beast this is. We don't know exactly what John saw in his vision. He's trying to write it down. We see that it has multi-heads. We know in chapter 12 that Satan, uh, the, the dragon, appears with seven heads. They're crowned with horns and crowns. It seems to be the imagery of of great power and great strength. Some Bible students describe this, along with Daniel's vision in the Old Testament, as a picture of what we believe is coming, what we call the revived Roman Empire. That would be a ten-nation conglomerate. and As the nations realign, and aren't they realigning? Someone told me on the way out of church that there's another new group, and I didn't catch exactly what they said, but there's a group meeting. It's Brazil, and it's China, and it's South Africa, and I can't remember who else. And and the nations are struggling to realign, and evidently, out of the European base of nations will come a conglomerate of ten nations, we call it the revived Roman Empire, and it appears in this passage that at first, the the description called the beast is actually a power base. It's actually a group of nations. We're going to see in a minute that out of that power base comes a ruler who will surface up over the others. And as we unfold chapter 13, it's difficult to, to me, it's difficult to understand that the beast doesn't shift from describing this multi-headed, multi-horned, multi-crowned power base to, to narrowing down the funnel to describing one individual who surfaces and kind of takes over. Some Bible students think that it's talking about a specific nation that will take over the other nations. One of the reasons I think it's a person is because if we took the time to see how he's going to end, we will see later that that the dragon, Satan, the beast... And remember, there's three names that we will use this morning for the beast. One is the beast, the Antichrist, and the other is the man of lawlessness. Some of you have heard all those names. Others, it's brand new all synonymous for what I understand, who I understand, to be the same guy. An individual, a political power, a king, you might say, who will, in this last seven years of the world as we know it, will surface to be known, and he will be well known, everyone will know his name, everyone will know what he looks like, a world leader who surfaces above the rest. We've talked about five marks or five facts about him. The first we see right away. Notice that in our text that we read so far, we talked about this leopard, the bear, the lion, and a lot of that lines up with Daniel's vision, where he describes different empires in history, and it's clear that he's talking about a power base. He's talking about nations that rule. But then in verse 3, notice that one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed, and the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Let's review our points quickly from the other day. Back up there in verse 3, we see that the dragon, it's the end of verse 2, excuse me, the dragon gave the beast the power. Number one, we know that the Antichrist, or the beast... This man of lawlessness, number one, he is a surrogate for Satan. Number two, he will captivate the attention of the world. Evidently, this fatal wound. And you're going to see later on that his sidekick, the false prophet, is going to say later in this passage that he's wounded with the sword, but he comes back to life. Evidently, the whole world is going to see him knocked down, but then on the screens and on the news... And in the newspapers or whatever the media fashion will be, then you will hear his voice, Uh, much like an Osama bin Laden. They didn't know if he was dead or not, and then a new tape would surface, and oh, he must be alive. And it's gonna be that he's gonna captivate the attention of the world and he's gonna surface evidently because of this triumph over the fatal blow. Either somebody's gonna to try to wipe out his kingdom and he's gonna suppress them or he personally will receive a wound. I personally believe that it, I choose to believe, you can't prove it scripturally, that it's some kind of an assassination attempt. And part of the reason I believe that is because you will see in this passage that as the characters unfold, that you have the the wicked triunity. You have Satan trying to duplicate the trinity of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, And in this passage, you're going to see the dragon is the power holder, The beast becomes a surrogate of his power. He receives his power from the dragon. The beast receives his power from the dragon, direct from Satan. He's going to receive a wound. What is that? Nothing other than a duplication of the resurrection of Christ at some level. Somehow he's going to show that he's Messiah-like. In a few minutes when we meet the false prophet, you're going to see that he's the one who has great mind control. He's got the great ability to deceive the minds of people. He influences people from the inside out. Who influences believers from the inside out? The Holy Spirit. And so the false prophet becomes the, the, the wicked version of the Holy Spirit. And there you have Satan who is always trying to tear down, destroy, twist, and duplicate what God presents for the real thing. And and really, all of this is nothing more than Satan trying to take over the domain of the world that God has only given him a short leash. And God is going to suppress it all. I don't know if I finished my thought in in Revelation 20 about the end of Satan, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. It says there that they will be personally thrown into a bottomless pit for 1,000 years. It appears when you read that, it looks like it's individuals, Satan himself and the Antichrist. And it doesn't seem like a whole country is thrown into the pit. It, seems, it doesn't seem like a, a ruling system in the world, a philosophy of, of, of political power or a philosophy of religion are thrown into the pit. It looks like a person is thrown into the pit. And it looks like the false prophet himself, who is this going to be a, a, a lieutenant... To the Antichrist, his sidekick, he gets thrown in. And when you read that kind of thing, it just seems to me that, that, as I said, these things end up narrowing down and they look like they are real individuals and it makes sense. It makes sense. So the Antichrist is a surrogate for Satan. He will captivate the whole world scene with this wound that is healed and he will fascinate the masses. Look at verse 4, men worship the dragon And uh, they say, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? He's just going to be very popular. He will fascinate the masses. He's going to desecrate what is sacred. Look at the beast, verse 5, was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies. I believe that is a reference to what Jesus referenced in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus gives us a throwback, remember, to Daniel's vision, and he talks about the abomination of desolation. And in our seven-year window of the final years of the world, it's going to be real bad. I believe the church is going to be taken out. The attention turns then to national Israel. That's why we call this the 70th week of Daniel. There have been 69 weeks of years, or 483 years that have already been fulfilled of a judgment on national Israel. One week of seven years has not been fulfilled. It does not seem identifiable anywhere in history. And God is going to turn his attention back to national Israel. And there's seven more years in which God is going to deal with Israel. It's going to be bad. And in the middle of it, there's going to be an event called the abomination of desolation, probably take place right at the Temple Mount, in the Jewish temple, a a religious act that is blasphemous. It will be publicized. It will culminate in him setting up a statue of himself, and the whole world, except for those who are followers of Christ, basically, the whole world will worship the beast and the image of the beast. Okay, look what it says. He says in verse five, the beast was given a mouth to utter word, proud words and blasphemies, and then to exercise his authority for 42 months. So he will desecrate what is sacred. Number four. Number five, he will operate within a time limit. I know of no other way to take it than that 42 months means 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years. Three and a half years is evidently the time frame that the beast, the antichrist, the man of lawlessness, will Super-duper on steroids rule the earth the last three and a half years, all right? And there you are. He will operate within a time limit. Number six on our list of describing the Antichrist is that he will annihilate the saints of God. Look what it says. He opened his mouth, verse 6, to blaspheme God and to slander his name. So he slanders God. He slanders the dwelling place of God and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and conquer them. There will be believers in Christ present on the earth. He's going to slander them. He's going to go after them and persecute them and exterminate them. Because Christians of all people will refuse to bow down to his image. And later you're going to see they're going to refuse to take the mark of the beast on their hand or their head. And they will lose their life for it. And so he, number six, will annihilate the saints of God. And number seven then, you need to know, it doesn't say it specifically here, but when we go back and we bring in Daniel's visions in chapter 11, it's worth noting that while he desecrates the temple, another group of people that he will be... Um, because they will be turning to Christ, is the Jews. Number seven, he will will discriminate against the people of God. He will annihilate the saints of God, any believers in Christ. And number seven, he will discriminate against the people of God. He will hate Jews. Is that hard to believe? You can't know your history and not know that the Jewish people are a, a special group of people. You cannot know your history book at all and not know that there have been leaders, even in the last hundred years, we might call that modernity, you think of all the old, like, an Aztec ruler in the Inca or Mayan ruins, and don't come and tell me Aztecs in my, I don't know what I'm saying, I'm just making that up. But, like, Aztec Mayan ruins that there was a chief and everybody worshipped him. You know, we know about that stuff. You know, we worship whoever, some... Witch doctor gets worshipped in his village in the middle of Ungabunga land. Alright? But we think in terms of modernity, we don't worship emperors. Oh, we don't. You don't know your history very well. Time after time after time, nation after nation after nation, political leaders turned it into a religious system and you had to bow down to them. What did the whole nation of Japan do during World War II? Communism itself is a religion. It happened over and over and it still happens. And you can see where the masses of people will turn their hearts towards a political leader and it shifts over into a religious worship. In the middle of that, he discriminates against Christians, annihilates Christians, discriminates against the nation of God. So there is a summary of seven defining qualities about the beast. He's a surrogate for Satan. He will captivate the attention of the world with this evidently pseudo-resurrection. He will fascinate the masses. They will say, who is like the beast? Nobody can whoop up on our guy. Number four, he will desecrate what is sacred. Number five, he will only operate in a limited window of time, praise God. Number six, he will annihilate the saints of God. Number seven, he will discriminate against the people of God, the Jews. Before we move on to the false prophet, turn to Revelation chapter 20. And let's see here, let's add information to our think tank. And in Revelation chapter 20, beginning with verse 4, we have some information that fits along with the events of Revelation chapter 13 where it's showing us that if you do not worship the beast, you're going to be killed. Start with verse 4. John says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And then it says, it goes on to say that they came back to life and worshipped with God and with Jesus. My point there is, you can turn back to Revelation 13, is this. That this Antichrist, the beast, captivates the attention of the world, turns the attention to him, turns it into a religious system, and people who do not worship him are killed. That's not a new concept, people. What's going to happen here, though, is that it will become a global concept. Well, let's look at his sidekick, Notice verse 11, it shifts gears and it starts to talk about a new character. Then John says, I saw, verse 11, Revelation 13. Oh, by the way, I skipped over, I went there and I skipped, he who has an ear, let him hear, verse 9, 10. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. And if anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. I just have to tell you, I don't know what that means. Okay? I think it might mean that he's talking about the martyrdom of saints, and then he ends by saying, in the last half of verse 10, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. I think it is a word to the saints who are going to be living at that time, and he's telling them, you're going to get captive, cap, captured, therefore, Be captured. You're going to be killed, therefore be killed. Don't pick up your sword, basically. is what I, I think what he's telling the believers is, do not fight physically against the Antichrist. I suspect that's what it's saying. I haven't really found anybody that agrees with that, but I haven't found anybody that can explain that verse. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword... With the sword, he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance. Look, it's going to happen to you. You're going to have to have patient endurance during that time if you're a believer. Perhaps that's what it means. That was probably three minutes of very unhelpful commentary. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. Here's our second player. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Isn't that a weird imagery? Have you ever seen a lamb with horns? maybe at Ripley's Museum, a lamb with two horns, and he spoke like a dragon. Again, I think this is imagery. First of all, we don't know what it means when it says, he came out of the earth. Notice in contrast in verse 1 that the beast came out of the sea. And we've speculated, and the commentaries speculate, that the sea is the sea of humanity, and therefore he's a Gentile leader, and that this beast... This second beast, described in verse 11 as another beast, comes out of the earth, which describes the land, which turns the attention to the land of Israel, and maybe he's a Jew. The Bible doesn't say that, and we don't know. So that's how Bible commentaries, they kind of speculate about it, and the word doesn't interpret itself on this. What is the sea, the Mediterranean? What is the land? Did he just come out of the earth, like out of a pit? Did he come from the pit of hell? We don't know. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. I suspect that that is imagery. We can't prove this either, but it looks like, again, it's imagery of something that at first has great appeal. We are now going to talk about a false prophet. And like false prophets through the ages, and there are many false prophets, but this is the false prophet, he comes in like a lamb, but he's got horns. It's an imagery of something that at first looks gentle. At first, it seems uh, where you can cooperate. But it's got horns and then it speaks like a dragon. And so I'm not 100% sure what it means there, but it appears that he will come in, he will be accepted, but then he will turn brutal. Let's read on. He exercised, verse 12, all the authority of the first beast. On his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Five qualities about the false prophet. Five characteristics about the running mate of the Antichrist. Number one, notice that he will orchestrate the agenda of the Antichrist. He will orchestrate the agenda of the Antichrist. Verse 12, he exercised all the authority of the first beast... On his behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. It would appear to me that he has the ability, either through public speaking, uh, through the press, through influencing the laws of the land, but he will have the ability to help make the Antichrist very popular around the world, and he will have, as we will see in a few minutes, there will be, this will be a time of great demonic and satanic deception, and he has spiritual power to help deceive people, and he will help orchestrate the agenda of the Antichrist. The second thing you need to see is that he will imitate the works of God. He will imitate the works of God, this false prophet, verse 13. And he performed great and miraculous signs. Now, notice that the last sentence of verse 12 is about the fatal wound that had been healed. If indeed that speaks of a physical wound on a man, it could be that the... False prophet somehow is instrumental in manipulating either technology or information or even a physical demonic manipulation to make it appear that a man who has been killed is now alive or somehow bring healing where healing was not expected. He will be very popular because of that. But then notice that he will have the ability, verse 13, to perform great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of these signs, he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast. Okay, once again, his power always reflects back on the first beast. He deceived the inhabitants of the earth. And he orders them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So it kind of sounds like an assassination attempt, doesn't it? And he, he is able to manipulate this information. He is able to use it to set up the image so that they will worship the beast in a literal religious manner, I would take it. Verse 15, he was given power... I take it by the dragon is where he received his power. And the dragon receives a limited power from God himself, I take it. He was given power, verse 15, to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Well, that's an interesting little stretch there. And, and notice it's all describing the characteristics of this false prophet. First of all, As we've said, he will be orchestrating the agenda of the Antichrist. Secondly, notice that he will imitate the works of God. Fire from the sky, giving breath to the false prophet. There's just going to be signs and wonders that are going to go on, and this is not necessarily new. We won't take time to look at it or talk about it hardly, but you could turn for an example to Acts chapter 8 and remember a character there named Simon the Sorcerer. And they called him a spiritually great man and they followed him because he could do signs and wonders. And Peter and them preached the gospel and confronted him and so forth. But people could do some of these crazy things. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I've mentioned this before, years ago in Martinsburg. Martinsburg's a wild, crazy place. You've got to watch it. Two girls in my youth group who told me they could, they could elevate and levitate a big old huge several hundred pound cast iron heater radiator in their bedroom. And I believe them. Those girls, they were something. And only in the name of Christ would I deal with them. I think they were demon-possessed. They had power. They messed in the occult. They had strange goings-on. And the false prophet will have this at a level way higher than the world has ever seen before. He will imitate the works of God, The next thing you need to see is that he will manipulate the entire world and it's on behalf of the beast. Look what it says. He deceived, this is verse 14, because of these signs, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. So he will manipulate the entire world. This is going to be global. This is going to be the whole world known about it. If you were traveling on a business trip, you would see the beast, the Antichrist, picture on posters in airports. You would see him painted on walls in cities and on buildings. You would see him on coinage. or on. If there, I don't believe there will be a hard currency at this time. I think it's going to be all electronic, probably. But as you use your electronic devices, your cell phones, your, your Palm Pilots, um, that's an old word already, isn't it? Your uh, iPad. Um, you know, at our house we have a wooden box with this black thing come out of it and you crank it and you hold it up to your ear. <laughs> That's what we use. It's called a telephone. And, uh, but anyway, you know, you have this stuff, and it, it's instant, in, instant information. And you're going to see this guy everywhere as, as the false prophet manipulates the entire world. He's going to be ruthless, and he, number four, will coordinate the extermination of the saints. He will exterminate the saints himself. We already read in chapter 20, verse 4, but notice what it says here. He ordered them to set up the image. Verse 14, he ordered them to set up the image. He deceives the whole world. 15, he was given power to give breath, and all who refuse to worship the image will be killed. I take it that that will mainly be Jewish people who are now followers of Christ and other Gentile people who received the truth from other witnesses that are around at that time. And they will be killed. The fifth thing, and we want to kind of end with this. some information about this. The fifth characteristic of this false prophet, okay? Number one, he will orchestrate the agenda of the Antichrist. Number two, he will imitate the works of God, fire from the sky and stuff. He will manipulate the entire world, and the entire world will worship the beast, number three. Number four, he will exterminate the saints. He will coordinate this extermination. And then number five... The false prophet is the one who is going to activate a worldwide mark of identification. He will activate a worldwide mark of identification. Stay with me just a few minutes and we'll bring this thing in for a landing, okay? Look what it says. Verse 16. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand, or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of his name now this is the part of the teaching that John is writing down from this vision revealed to him on patmos on the lord's day and probably multiple visions that has received so much speculation what is the mark of the beast what is 666 what is that Well, let's stick with the text and let's at least discern as much out of the text as we can. First of all, notice verse 16 that it will be a forced mark. Number one, it is not optional. He forces everyone. It is not optional. Number two, notice then there's a description, small, great, rich, poor, free, slave. That's a way of describing everybody globally, I take it. So number two, it is universal. It is not optional. It is universal. And it will be a mark on his right hand or on his forehead. Listen, do you know that we have the technology right now for this kind of thing? I take it that there is a global political system going. We have a one-world environment here. I take it that is probably moved into and we could do this very rapidly, you see it in the news every day. What's happening in the stock market and the gold market, the currency's breaking down, the euro's not worth anything, the dollar's not worth anything, the Chinese are rich, who knows what's going on. Somebody's gonna have to solve all these problems and when they do, don't be surprised if it's not a cashless society. It kinda makes sense when you have the technology, isn't it, doesn't it? And so the technology is there right now to put in the hand or to put in the skin an information grid, a, uh, some kind of a device. They can even tattoo them on. Speaking of tattoos, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? I always kind of offend people when I talk about tattoos. I'm going to tell you, um, let's do tattoo talk here for just a second. Because I think, and this is Van Marceau, not the Bible, and i got to be careful preaching Van Marceau and not the Bible, but I think that when you look around the world and you see how marking the body is so popular that it seems to just set the tone for someone who wants to identify people all around the world with a specific mark. It won't be a yellow band around the sleeve. It will be some kind of marking on the skin. Now, technology is there that for those of you who cosmetically don't want the mark can just have it under the skin, I guess. But don't you think it seems smart of the dragon to begin to deceive the people so that people are willing to mark their Bible? I always want to be careful, though, because I know that tattoos are super popular. The Bible doesn't really address it to to Christians. There's two places that this kind of thing comes up. Number one is in the Old Testament, and God told Israel, do not mark your body. God told Israel, when it was a theocracy, and he ran the place... They didn't have a king. He said, do not do tattoos because the Canaanites and the people around you do tattoos. Granted, almost always, the reason of the condemnation was because it represented their worship of pagan gods. Because I know there's people are there, like, can I show you my tattoo? Right here? Right here? But, you know what? I don't think it's a sin to have a tattoo. Um... It's probably a personal choice. I know that in the Old Testament, when it mentions it, it's with idolatry, and it says, don't do that. Don't mark your body. Don't look like the pagans. The second thing, and I know people put Jesus on and all kinds of things, you know. Um, I'm really tempted to talk some of my opinion now. I don't want to do that. In the New Testament, this is it, basically. Basically. The Antichrist is going to put a mark on the hand and on the forehead. Is it a tattoo? I have no idea. I have no idea. And don't be paranoid about your tattoos um, with Pastor Van. You know me. I'm an old conservative fuddy-duddy. And I don't mean to offend anybody with that. I just, I don't know. It does kind of set itself up, doesn't it? To where people will receive a mark. And so my personal opinion is that it will be physical, physical, And it will be visual. I can't prove that from the text, but it just says it will be on the right hand or on the forehead. And it will be... So it's not optional. It's universal. It's physical and visible, I believe. And it is practical and economical. Notice that. Notice that it is practical and economical. Receive a mark on his right hand as far as... So that, verse 17, no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark. You know that a lot of people's lives have been ruined with a little piece of cardboard called a ration card in history past? And that entire systems of people and political defined regions have been controlled and controlled people with those who have a ration card and those who do not have a ration card, those who could get food, those who could not get food, those who could buy and sell, those who could not buy and sell, those who could get fuel, those who could not get fuel. And, you, and, and dictators and wicked kings have controlled people, and that's exactly what's going to happen. You won't be able to buy and sell. They'll probably be electronically based, where you have scanners all the time. They'll tr- be able to globally track you. I suspect that there'll be a few people somewhere in the mountains of Montana, if they are not burned up yet, who might get through the grid. But... Basically, it will be global and it will be worldwide and believers in the Lord Christ will say, no, I'm not going to do that. And almost all of them will be killed. Almost all of them will be killed. And that's where the martyrs of the tribulation come from. Notice that the mark is personal and political. It is the mark which is the name of the beast and the number of his name. This calls for wisdom, verse 18. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is the man's number. His number is 666. Six is known as man's number. It's one short of seven. Seven is known as God's number in the Bible. The creation was completed in seven days. God said it was good and so forth. Man's number is known as six. We don't know exactly what this is. Are they going to have real 666 tattooed on their head? Will it be a code that is fed into a a chip, a microchip, and you have to get a code or you can't do it? Will everybody have a cashless society? Will we go to a cashless society before this starts, and it will be the thing to embed your credit card in the back of your hand? I don't know. But it takes discernment, doesn't it? One of the things you might ask is, How will people do all this? Do you really think people will follow this guy? Why would they do that? Let me just suggest a couple things. Number one, never underestimate how much power Satan and his agents have to deceive people. Never underestimate how much power Satan and his agents have to deceive people. He's an expert at it, he's highly skilled at it. When he speaks his native language, John 8 44, he speaks in lies. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us that the great restrainer of sin will be removed at this time and the holy spirit who holds a lid on sin will be removed and sin is going and wickedness is going to grow and it's going to be rampant we know that through the judgments that are going on the trumpet judgments the bowl judgments that revelation speaks of that people are going to be desperate for hope they will jump on anything for hope and help but also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we don't have time to turn there. The man of lawlessness is what it talks about there. And it says that God, because of the hardness of people's hearts and because they refuse to love Jesus, that God will send a delusion and the people will believe a lie. In other words, God is going to judge the world by allowing a delusion, by allowing deception to go on. It is part of the judgment on people who refuse Christ today. See, this is a warning passage again. This is a wake-up call for people to know that today is the day to follow Christ. And, and these events, we don't know when they're going to kick in. I do not believe these events have taken place. I believe they're future it seems clear that there is going to be this great change. Are you a lover of Christ today? Are you a discerning one of His Word? Or would you be able to be deceived because God's people through the power of His Holy Spirit and through the ministry of His servants will have discernment during this time? I believe the church is going to be taken away before all this happens. But what if you were here? Have you hardened your heart so much? And in your life today, is your heart so rebellious towards God and Jesus and the Bible that if this were to kick in and happen, that you would believe the lie because you refuse to love God today so that tomorrow God sends a delusion and you will believe the lie. That's why worldwide masses will follow Him. They're believers of the lie. It's it's given to them as a judgment from God. In other words, it'll be too late to believe. My friend, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to take God's word and take it in. And man, this is a difficult passage in a way, but it's interesting, isn't it? We I mean, the dragon, and the beast, and the false prophet—these key players in the end times. I call for you today to follow christ i call for you today to t- admit your sinful heart and accept what jesus did on the cross where he shed his blood for your sin receive the word of god today and receive his salvation and humble your heart in the presence of a holy god don't take chances don't say well later on i'll take care of it because you don't know what the future's going to bring today's the day let's bow in prayer please we examine your heart for just a minute. Been throwing a lot of information at you in a hurry and trust you've been able to take some of it in. Are you really a follower of Jesus today or are you vulnerable to being deceived and following false prophets? What's your heart telling you right now? Is it a heart that is free from sin that knows the the freedom of forgiveness because of the shed blood of Christ. And by faith, you believe that what Jesus did on the cross was for you and you've received His salvation. You've transferred your sin upon Him and you've received back from Him His righteousness so that when a holy God looks at you, you stand clean and pure in His presence. If that's not the case, right now in the privacy of your own mind, you can call out to God something like this. Lord, I admit today that I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and I accept your forgiveness in Christ by faith alone. If that's the cry of your heart. Tell God, make sure things are right with God today. The Lord could come back at any time. I thought about that with that earthquake Thursday when my van began to rock. I thought, what if the Lord came back? Boom, right then. Was I ready? So, Father, open blind eyes, soften hard hearts, and help us to be found watching and waiting for your return. And in the meantime, as we seek to discern and understand, and you've even promised a blessing to those who will study these prophecies, give us a growing knowledge and insight and discernment of what it means to be your people and to live upright and godly in this wicked world. accomplish your purposes in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.